It is the most gut-wrenching scene in movie history. Our hero delivers a solemn fuck you to his lover and storms off. Could this be the end? A lonesome piano track fades in and a familiar song drags us down to despair's lowest ebb. Okay, to be fair, I don't really remember the plot of Shrek. Is Shrek in love with the donkey? I think that's what the movie's about. Also, the version of the song they use in the movie is not the same one we're talking about on the show today, which is also not the original version of the song. This is a song written in the 80s and covered hundreds if not thousands of times since then. But the best love version was released in August 1994 on the only studio album by the late Jeff Buckley. It's become a modern classic and we've all heard it a million times, but it's probably longer and weirder than you remember. Today on Hidden Jukebox, Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah. And uh, we are joined by a guest today who requested this song. Uh, our guest is John Sung, who is a composer, songwriter, and uh, prose writer uh, from New York City. And his album, Empire Postcards, was one of my favorite records of last year. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you uh, bet. This is very exciting. Certainly t- more talented than both of us. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's <laughs> not that's do... hard to do. <laughs> no, so like I... Um, I, I've like, you know, on my other podcast, uh, Spilled Milk, like I've, I've kind of gotten into this thing where I want to have my favorite indie musicians, see if I can convince my favorite indie musicians to be on the show. And then like, I'm very like shy and fanboyish around them. Uh, so like we, uh, our, our, uh, our pinnacle as a show is we had, we had, uh, Michelle Zauner of Japanese breakfast on and I was just a mess. <laughs> Luckily, <laughs> like now she's way too famous to ever be on our show again. And if you haven't listened to the podcast enough, I mention way too much that my degree is in music mm-hmm. and I don't know if that creates, <laughs> creates this assumption that I'm somehow extremely talented or well-versed or what, but it, it, doesn't necessarily wind up being true jake is a very good bass player uh, he's he's only, better at bass than some. i am at any thing probably <laughs> I, I i haven't heard you play bass i've heard i've heard um i think matthew you sing the song right yeah is yeah. that you singing it it's, mm-hmm. it's delicious it's del- it's delightful i just say delicious but that's, <laughs> it, it thank you I, yeah i'm a, I, i'm a vocalist I've, I've been a singer for how how long have I been singing? Would you say, well, Jake? Well, let's see. Uh, well, I mean, if we're gonna go, how long? You made up stupid songs when I was five years old yep. to make to make fun of me. So I remember <laughs> a long time. But uh, in college, you started your first real band, and I was fourteen, thirteen, fourteen years old, and I was like, "Holy shit, my brother can actually sing! This is really strange." It surprised me too, honestly. <laughs> what was the um, name of the band? First band. Okay, so uh, for, it was first called June, and then we found there was uh, another much better known band with that name, so we changed it to Flax, F-L-A-X. Yes! <laughs> what was it? And How it, did you decide to go from June to Flax? Was it like four letters? You're like, I, I need four letters, we already paid the guy I, for the poster. You know, we had, I don't know if we actually had a chalkboard, or I, th- I think we actually had a whiteboard where we were writing, that we were writing band oh names on, God. and th- that was just one where we like, yeah, that seems fine, like no one had a big objection to it. Not uh, flux or flex, but flax. Oh, uh, flux would be good. It would be like uh, like a Back to the Future thing. Totally. Uh, jo- John, have you ever been in a full band, or do you just do your own uh, stuff? Um, I played for my friends' bands, but I've never been in a band band except with my ex, and we were really uh, just two people. So sure, no, the, I think bands are hard. The, oh, the, so hard. 
so hard and the absolute most difficult thing about being in a band is coming up with a name for the band because yeah. that is the one thing that you're <laughs> stuck with for eternity well i mean you're so, stuck with until you find out there's another band with that name and then you have to and change then, it and then you get changed to the flax which yeah, i'm gonna right. take for my next album <laughs> sure, um, totally i have fair. a friend i have a friend who's in a band who would love a very close friend of mine jeff brickley who's in a band called thursday and um wait your friend's name is jeff brickley Rick, rickley rickley okay if it was brickley i, would I, I was going to, to join, the, the, exact join the show Matthew. i'm like wow this is too good i know his band's called thursday and i have to imagine there are so many other bands that came before and after who were like ah oh, mother effer like that yeah, name is a taken. good name yeah i think he actually did they did something with taking back sunday which i thought Come right. on, really? No, but they did. Yeah, but I guess anyway. the only downside of Thursday is then you like you put it on the poster and people are like, what right. day is the show? Right. You have to be like, you have to really own it and be mega famous, which they were. And so to, to like, so nobody gets confused. Unlike Japanese breakfast, which is, my wife is Japanese. And the only other time I hear about it is when my mother-in-law and her talk about breakfast. <laughs> so they just call it breakfast. They don't actually call it Japanese breakfast. <laughs> uh, All right. So Hallelujah. Where do we even begin? The first thing that I that I want to say is you mentioned that this song has been covered hundreds, if not thousands of times. And one of the last points uh, that is made in our notes is it's conventional wisdom that most covers of this song are bad. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's like a really good YouTube video that's like not it's 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 like critical without being mean that kind of goes through a bunch of covers of it and like you know says like what what the the youtuber thinks doesn't work about them well and and i find that like i've probably heard i i definitely have not heard 50 covers of this but i probably heard 10 mm -hmm. and i feel like like most people don't try to do much of anything with it it's it's like they might add a little instrumental section here but but like i haven't heard the slipknot version of hallelujah <laughs> and been like yeah, yeah, that rocks. Well, I'm sure there is. A, I'm sure there are metal covers of it. Probably. Right? Yeah. John, have you ever? Have you, you're a singer. Have you? Have you tried singing this song? F no. Although, <laughs> no, just no. Okay. I no. Have I mean you? You did a wonderful. By the way, I'm I, not to segue for a second. Um, yeah, I'm yeah, so sorry please. for destroying the flow. But no. I just typed in. I just for research, I typed in. You know, best covers. And Ford, which is a Jewish independent nonprofit newspaper, actually has a top 50 versions of Hallelujah, which implies wow. there's like more than 50. But oh, they, there's they also definitely put, more than 50. Is there? I think, my, I think our parents used to read the Ford in like in the 60s. <laughs> but, so did Slipknot actually do a cover, Jake? Or you, I, were you I made the, I made that up, but it, it could okay. be correct. <clears throat> Um, I oh want to know God. what the top five are on that list. Okay, let me let me find yeah. it because I, I actually do too. Okay, I mean, John Cale number one. Should I do this? Right. I should have done this backwards, but I'm I'm gonna mess no, it no, up and fine. deliver the. Okay, spoiler alert: John Cale's number one. Um, Jeff Buckley's number two. Which, apropos of y'all, what you were saying, you know, <clears throat> most people don't try to do something too different. Katie Lang did a version. They put okay. the forward the authority on Jeff Buckley co or Hallelujah covers. <laughs> Katie Lang, number three. Okay. Um, Leonard Cohen. Ooh, hot take. Leonard Cohen is number four. <laughs> is, the, wait, <laughs> is that a cover? <laughs> Ouch. I, 
<laughs> yeah, right. yeah, and, not surprising. <laughs> and this get this list gets worse and worse. So the number five cover is a live version by Leonard Cohen himself of the song he wrote. <laughs> Again, if you play if you play your song live, that is not a cover. <laughs> Isn't it though? <laughs> I mean how, how <laughs> and then I guess Bob Dylan is number six for the honorary mention. I, um, I, I, I'm I'm so glad this is from a Jewish publication because it, it, it's like it's like uh, the best kugel is my grandmother's kugel, and the second best kugel is also my grandmother's kugel because nothing beats my grandmother's kugel. <laughs> but they did put two Gentiles, I, as far as I know, John yeah, Kelly's right. Gentile. That, that's number fair. one. I think and so. Jeff Buckley is number two. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, um, there's probably sorry. a lot of debate about that. So, so yeah, this song is very hard to sing. Um, it's got mm. a lot of subtleties i like how what everybody uses as the first verse uh that the line of uh it goes like this the fourth the fifth the minor falls the major lifts and Mm. in the song it's going to the fourth the fifth it goes to the minor sixth it goes back to the major fifth so it's like the lyrics are following Mm. what's happening in the song and when you try singing that, it's very hard to do. It's probably the hardest part yeah. of the vocals. Yeah. Although for me, I think I think almost the first line is the hardest part. And like as as a singer, I've always struggled with first lines because like I want it to be perfect and nothing's ever perfect. Um, but you know, I think what it is is like you know that uh, the the Buckley cover. So f- first of all, the Buckley cover was inspired by the John Cale cover, which which John Cale did for the the I'm Your Man uh, Leonard Cohen tribute album, uh, and the the Buckley version follows that fairly closely. Although Buckley's vocal performance is is pretty individual, I would say, um, and. If you want to do it now, like now that everybody knows the the Buckley version, like you either have to really try and bring something new to it, which is hard, or you end up in this place where you're like, you know, like trying to sing it in such a way that like, yeah, I feel this and I mean this too, mm. the same way Jeff Buckley did. And it's just not going to sound genuine. So it's I, just so hard to imitate. I mean imitates the wrong word, but you couldn't strive for his voice without being either right. incredibly affected and yes. artificial <clears throat> or not hit it at all. And then just make it so glaringly clear that you're not Jeff Buckley. Right. It's a really hard thing to do. My, my second favorite version of this song, including not including Leonard Cohen's, I like, I'm not a fan of <laughs> Leonard Cohen. We don't need to get into that. Oh, okay. Um, but we might, we, but we might, uh, is Brandy Carlisle's, uh, oh. sh- she put out a, uh, live Benaroya hall album in, I think about 2010. And she does a version of this on there and she, you know, she's still sticking to the song. Like mm-hmm. I said, everybody does, but her voice is just so beautiful and she has this wide range. You don't hear a lot of female singers use a falsetto mm-hmm. and she does it so well. She creates these swells with, with the vocals and it's just absolutely gorgeous, especially with a string section behind her. It's it's a departure from what that. Do. it's it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. And the fact that she's doing it live, which maybe Jeff Buckley did it in the studio, uh it it's incredible that she's able to pull it off. Yeah, I tried to to find like, you know, I figured there would be like a, you know, in the studio with Jeff Buckley, like, you know, behind the recording of, right, of Hallelujah. Right. I couldn't find that. Um, <clears throat> oh. But it sounds like he recorded it live to tape. 
Well, he did. I, there's a EPK or electronic press kit a long okay. time ago. Maybe it's on YouTube where they do show him playing it in okay. the studio. But it's not the entire performance. It's just sort right. of like segments of it. Well, to talk about Jeff Buckley for a minute, you know, it, it, it's hard to. There's a lot that goes into the fact that he died so young and so unexpectedly because nobody's thinking to document this fairly unknown singer's first album, despite the fact that apparently he got a pretty good advance for it and they were hoping it was going to be a very big album. You know, there was nothing like we have a limited amount of time with this guy. Let's get everything down. Right. And unless a band or a performer decides I want to film everything. It's not exactly a common thing in the studio to be like, let's bring in a camera crew. Let's document right. everything that's happening. Because if for anybody who's ever spent time in a studio, it is boring. <laughs> like, yeah. like somebody would watch it. I don't know if you guys watched the uh, Beatles get back. Oh yes. It's six hours long and you're just sitting there. Going, <laughs> I think it's more than that. <laughs> yeah. You're just sitting there going, well, they're still sitting there drinking coffee <laughs> and cocktails and bullshitting about nothing. And that's pretty much the studio most of the time. So, like, documenting the stuff when you're there does not really feel like the most important part of everything. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, is this the first cover that we've done for the show? Um, and and I'm not counting when we did Fish, a live one, because, again, playing your own song live is not a cover. I was going to say, I don't even think they have any covers on no. there. Um, it is our first cover that we've done, and... I had to look this up when you wrote it because I'm like, what are you talking about? You said, will Torn by Natalie Imbruglia be our second? I think it will. I, I had no idea that it was a cover. I don't think that most people know that that's a cover. Wait, it's a, ah, uh, it's, yes, there's a bit. Have you heard this but story it before? Nothing, it sounds nothing like Torn. The the original version sounds very, very different than the yeah, version Yeah, by like records. a Danish indie band, I want to say. Or something. I think yeah. I, maybe, I remember this like coming up in like one of those musical trivial pursuit things. Yeah. But oh my gosh, y'all! Have I would to have do got it, it wrong. <laughs> I would have got it absolutely wrong. Uh, yeah, I've ne- I didn't even go back and listen to the original version because I'm like, uh, a cover. I I'm very curious <laughs> about it. But okay, we'll um, we'll do that episode at some point. Yeah, I was trying to think of other covers from. Uh, the 90s, but we just did Limp Biscuits, so we're not going to go back to that anytime soon. Not, right. not dipping back into that well. <laughs> um, I, I also want to talk real quick about this song and Leonard Cohen writing it. He yeah. claims that he may have written up to 150 versions or verses for this song. Um, his version only has four verses. Buckley's has five. Mm-hmm. If you look up the lyrics to this song on Google, it shows six and they're completely out of order from how yeah. everybody else does it. So it, it's it's almost like uh, uh, it's like a song kit that you can like assemble the parts in. A ver- mm. It's like song Legos. <laughs> yeah. So- song Voltron. Yes. Well, Depending well, on like, the, yeah. What, when you talk about traditional songs a, a lot of the time, like songs where you can't even find a credit for who wrote the song, uh, there can be many verses and then people make it their own. And it's interesting that this song that was, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not written that long ago has become that thing where uh, people choose, pick and choose yeah, the totally. verses that they want to use and, and make it their own. Do you know where John Cale got his the one that Jeff Buckley based his on? And if Leonard Cohen only had four verses in his how did they 
I don't know, like, like I don't. Obviously, Google didn't exist, so I don't know where he got a longer list of lyrics. But I will say, I listened to four or five other people's versions uh, besides John Cale's, including Jeff Buckley's, and everybody after him did the vocals in the exact same order, mm. except for Brandy Carlisle. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and I, and I have a feeling there was a a like lyric notebook involved. Like, I don't, I don't know that for sure. But uh, like I assume when they were putting together the um, the tribute album, like probably some of the artists like had access to some some background yeah. material. Well, I, I also had to dig into Google's uh, grievous error after <laughs> looking at the, the lyrics because it's at the bottom. It says songwriters, Leo Robin, Pete King, Vincent Yaumans and Clifford Gray. I'm like, what? Who are those people? Uh, so apparently there was a song in like the 50s or 60s called Hallelujah <laughs> okay. that they wrote yeah. together and Google uh, completely credited this incorrectly. But I'm like, maybe that's where these lyrics are from. And no, that's not the case at all. Uh Okay, so um, let's talk about the intro to this song yeah. and and what Jeff Buckley does with it. Um, he takes, the, he was a great guitar player, and he mm -hmm. takes this guitar intro and basically is playing the changes of the song, playing it with the melody, but playing it in a minor key, mm -hmm. which is just fascinating and almost unrecognizable when you listen to it you it feels like he's doing these open chords and then when you listen closely it's like oh he's just doing this really interesting arpeggiation of the song and even more interesting is he is able to naturally lead that into the known version of the song with this beautiful transition rather than just a pause and okay here here we go with the song and it's very, very interesting. And most people hmm. don't really think of Jeff Buckley as a guitar player. They they know him for his vocal talents, but he was a phenomenal musician on his own. Yeah. And like the, this is this is the kind of song like and, and Jeff Buckley in general, like his guitar tone was legendary. So like among guitar nerds, like you will find on YouTube, like, you know, how to get the hallelujah guitar tone, like how to dial in exactly the right amount of reverb and EQ. Um, and it, it does. It sounds fantastic. I was going to ask about this to both of you. I find that he plays with a really clean guitar tone. Like you listen to this yeah. entire album and even on the tracks that have distortion, it's almost like like the bass is doing the distortion and you can hear his pick on the strings. It it sounds deliberate to me. What what do you both think? As a guitar player, he's one of the reasons I play a Telecaster. You know, Telecaster awesome. is kind of like yeah. the Model T of the guitars. It's two literally single Model coil T. pickups. Yeah. <laughs> Well, pl ah, yes, nice. actually, exactly. Right. Strong, um, strong. How did you? You picked up what I was putting down, and <laughs> and I um. So I actually saw Jeff Buckley play live before he died, and I oh, was wow. really young. What really? Uh, yeah, I, oh, I'll put it this way. Man. I, How I, old I, I were was able you? To, I was able to stay for one song, and then it was too late in curfew, and I had to go home because the opening band. The opening band was like soul coughing and okay. uh, and yeah. there was probably some like local band before that and it was in Houston and it was a tiny club because you know to Jake's point he wasn't that famous even after the album this is right before he died yeah and um <clears throat> and his guitar was a Telecaster and he basically was like that reverb and he finger picked a lot of stuff and um it's so clean and it's so precise he went to like 
I'm going to get super nerdy if that's okay for a second. Yeah, please. Um, I think he went to Guitar Institute in, in LA, which is like the Berkeley for shredders for a while. And then he went to New York and he played with this guy, Gary Lucas, um, who is this guitar virtuoso as a lead singer of Gary Lucas's band. Um, Gary Lucas was part of the Knitting Factory, like John Zorn kind of downtown avant-garde scene. And so I I feel like somehow Jeff Buckley emerged out of that with this avant-garde sensibility and very cla- almost like classical voicing. Yeah. But in order to be not scrunky, like like Mike Rabot or all these guys, he went like super clean on the guitar tone. And it's striking. Live, all I remember I saw like one or maybe two songs was it was so precise. Like everything he did, it felt organic. But he hit every mark like a pro session guitar player would. Yeah, I think there is something like I I, I have like the highest respect for for guitar players who are fully capable of shredding and usually choose not to. Um, so much so, you know, <laughs> there's there's just uh, like uh, like a real like like quality quality to that. I uh, I think I've told this on the show before, but uh, a few years ago I saw the band The Clientele play like a, a mm. British indie band, and uh, you know very like understated uh, kind of like you know suburban pastoral scene painting kind of kind of music. And on one song, uh, the uh, the you know lead singer guitarist busted out like a basically Jimmy Page guitar solo, like fast, loud, like virtuosic, and then just went back to doing what he was doing before. Just like, <laughs> just, just need you to know, I can do this if I need to. And it was great. Uh, to, to continue, to continue that nerding out real quick, John, um, part of that, uh, that New York scene in the early nineties and John Zorn's crew was, uh, Bill Frizzell who lived in Seattle for a while. Yeah. And if there's one person who I w- would compare Jeff's playing to, mm-hmm. it would be Bill Frizzell who also loved Telecasters. And I kind of wonder if there's a connection there. I, I wonder too. I mean, he's one of my guitar- all time, Bill Frizzell is my all time guitar hero. I learned to play that kind of like both his previous, like, beboppy stuff and then his kind of more open americana stuff sure like note for note for such a long time i think you're right there's something interesting about the deconstruction of it you you talk to guitar nerds pardon the term uh i hope you take that as a compliment (laughs) oh Uh, i know wait i'm deeply offended jake (laughs) how dare you uh uh, (laughs) exactly (laughs) uh Every guitar player who you talk to who's really studied the instrument is like, well, there's this person, this person, and Bill Frizzell. Yeah. Bill Frizzell is definitely one of my one of my top people. And like, if you're a guitar player, he's an absolute hero. If you're not, there's like a 70-30 chance, 30-70 chance that you have no idea who this yeah. guy is and you've never heard of him before. He's just but phenomenal. But that cleanliness... You're you're absolutely right. That that purity of tone that Bill Frizzell and Jeff Buckley have, and that way they use the instrument, almost like I know people use this phrase, and it's kind of lame, like an orchestra or at least a string quartet. Yeah. Like every note is separate, so you're not just playing a lead note or a chord. You're doing something in between. Jeff Buckley did that in pop music in a way that I feel like very few people have since, because it's so hard. And to yeah. sing on top of that, even harder. Okay, good, good segue because like, like, for, forget about this guitar shit for a minute. Let's talk. Let's talk about the vocal because I, when I went back and listened to this closely, the vocal was so different from how I remembered it, and I think it's partly because like I think I've heard the um, uh, the Rufus Wainwright version more recently, mm-hmm. um, and he does like a very you know he's he's a very good singer and does a very good straightforward performance. And when I went back and listened to Jeff Buckley, it is not a straightforward performance like. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. you know, he, he plays with tone a lot. Like, you know, he goes between like a heavier tone and a whispier, you know, whispery tone and everywhere in between. He plays with rhythm. He like throws in spoken words along with the sung words and some words that are sort of sung and sort of spoken. It is a performance with a really strong point of view. As a singer, how do you, Matthew, um, how do you think about the the lyrics themselves are very Leonard Cohen and very dramatic and they can in the wrong hands be cheesy or overly ripe. So how do you like, yeah, what's your view on how he, how he pulled it off? Or at least I think he pulled it off. Yeah, no, I think so too. And it's a good question. So for one thing, I think. My my guess is that he had played the song many times before he took it into the studio and had like sung it many times. And like there is there is like a place you get to when you are like familiar enough with a song that you don't have to like stop and think about the technique, um, but not so familiar that it becomes rote. And I think he kind of hit that sweet spot where he's like, okay, like, you know, I can now like use this song to, to express what I'm feeling without it being like, you know, a mimicry of the original and without it Mm -hmm. being like a rote performance of something I've done a hundred times before. Like it, that, that to me is, has a lot to do with it, I think. And now to connect the uh, nerdy guitar thing with the vocal thing, uh, it it took me years to discover this album. I I had heard this version of Hallelujah, and like I mentioned earlier, not a big Leonard Cohen fan. And this, I find this song to be a bit of a dirge. Like (laughs) I I didn't hear him go, "Oh my god, this is incredible," but I kept hearing Jeff Buckley's name over the years, and and. Mm. When I finally checked out Grace, the title track like left me on the floor. Like his singing yeah. on that is unbelievable. It, he hits this this high note of vibrato like most of the way through the song that are just inhuman. And like uh, when I was listening to the album, I was like, again in the last couple of weeks, I was like, okay, so it's a weird uh, comparison, but I find that he's got these Chris Cornell type of things that he does, even mm. though they're very different mm-hmm. stylistically. And then it's clear that Matt Bellamy from Muse took a lot from him. Yep. And so mm-hmm. connecting back to the guitar thing, uh, I discovered when researching this, that the owner of the Telecaster played on this album <laughs> is none other than Matt Bellamy. <laughs> what? Who, who is a, I'm, apparently I'm not a surprised. huge huge jeff buckley fan seek this out bought it uh did all of this provenance type of stuff to make sure that it was the real thing uh and and is like like we'll take this thing to his grave and be buried with it like just obsessed oh my with it. gosh i have hey. to say between are you a muse fan jake oh i'm a big muse fan i don't okay. love everything that they do but they have a lot of material you're not gonna love everything that yeah the band I, does I like muse also I, I recognize that like the cheese factor is off the charts and i well, fully accept that <laughs> <laughs> he they are like one you know how like great bands uh, maybe they say that both underground like splinter off and then people take different things from a great band and sort of express their own feelings into it and muse is also a, a virtuosic singer with, and guitar player fronting yep. a band that's very you know proggy in a way that like is certain i can see a certain sliver of what jeff buckley was doing with that grace album of the complexity of the music and the vocal you know pyrotechnics and the guitar playing and if you took that towards the more prog rocky arena rock i can see muse 
Yeah. And then if we took it in a different direction, you know, people have said that Travis was influenced. I mean, there's a lot of bands that yeah. were influenced by sure. his singing afterwards. Well, okay. So that brings up another point that, that I had made, which is this album didn't do great when it came out. Mm. Um, it didn't even do great posthumously. Like I remember mm. a short blurb in Rolling Stone when Jeff Buckley died, but it was not like, it was certainly not like when Kurt Cobain died and it, right. it took, it took basically Shrek for, for people to go back and go, Oh, this Jeff Buckley guy was, I was, I was wondering whether that was, whether that was it, even though he didn't appear on the soundtrack. Well, there, there was, apparently there was something with like streaming services in 2007 where people started going back and listening to this again, but it, it had gained like this album had certainly gained some traction mm-hmm. and obviously had some big fans in the music scene. But in 1994, when it came out, like it's hard for me to put this in a box and go, this is grunge. This is alternative. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's got a lot going on with it. Um, the, there's very ballady types of stuff. Um there's folk singer songwriter stuff. So there's rock stuff. I don't like. I don't know what the record label was trying to sell here. Yeah, they clearly heard something. But uh, oh yeah, but, no. I think like you know, in this this happens in in like uh, you know the world of writing also. Like you know, there are a lot of great novels that that no publisher had any idea how to market, and you know, some of them found an audience and some of them not. Because you know, genre genre is a very powerful and sometimes very frustrating thing. And I think what you're both saying is is my my feeling when I hear it is it is a bit of a dog's breakfast of an album. Like there's yeah there's a Nina Simone cover. There's like a Benjamin Britten cover. Yeah, <laughs> and like it's kind of him flexing his musical sort of um, uh, bona fides or whatever yeah. you want to say it. And then there's some like rock songs, yeah, which are to to Jake's point like not distorted at all. And I think it's he was still trying to figure out how to express himself in all the the multitudes that he has and the record label is like, this is a good looking guy with a great voice. Like how do we actually yeah. sell some, make something that some people will buy. And that, that tension creates an uneven album. That's still beautiful to me, but yeah, it's really weird. And it's, I can't imagine it being like a top 10 situation. No. Yeah. Th- th- this is always one of these things that I, I hate to dwell on, but can't help but thinking about of like, what would we have seen from this guy if he yeah. had lived? How can you not years? think about that? Yeah, like, Muse, like I think the inevitable answer is Muse. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> Muse plus Jeff Buckley. Actually, Matt, Matt Bellamy never would have even been involved. They would have been like, <laughs> "Yeah, screw that." He he would have been the Dave Mustaine, uh, like like in Metallica. Oh, no. It's like, sorry, buddy, we don't need you. We got Jeff Buckley. <laughs> I I feel like you're you're writing a, sorry, you're Dave writing Mustaine. a movie that's like a fusion of that uh, that movie about Judas Priest, the 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 Mark Wahlberg movie about Judas Priest oh, and Rockstar and uh, the. <laughs> Uh, yesterday it's like an alternate history uh. wait wait hold on is that what rockstar was about wait kind yeah, of? rockstar was about judas priest i i, I had no idea i is it, no it was iron maiden right no no both, no it was both, judas of priest. Bands, both of those bands have always had the same singer Shit. i thought okay so no maybe no, one of one of them <laughs> like are you sure you're not thinking of journey I, I'm not okay. All right, we're doing. We're gonna do everything. Everyone's favorite thing right now. I'm gonna Wikipedia during 
<laughs> during the show. I'm going to say what I hear when I listen okay. to my, my video game podcast, which is there are thousands of people listening, screaming at both of you exactly. right now. The script was inspired the by, says the, that. by the real-life story of Tim Ripper Owens, a singer in a Judas Priest tri- tribute band who was chosen to replace singer Rob what? Halford when he left the band. And, of course, he's come back oh since then. And I think that, that happened in the movie ooh. also, that the original singer comes back and he gets fired. I, I haven't seen it since it came out in 2001. It, it is... Arguably one of the worst movies <laughs> it ever, was, it was ever, not ever made. It, I, I'm actually surprised. It's, it's got 53 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is way <laughs> higher than I thought. How, okay, the movie is not good. However, the the part where the original singer uh, is explaining how like the gay subtext of all of their songs is very funny. <laughs> I, I mean, That's you're you're amazing. saying this like like I'm going to remember that scene. Like, I, I, oh yeah, I, I agree. That I, scene, I love bro, that scene. Having only seen the movie movie in the theater, and yeah, like John, I want to I, I want to ask about this note that you said about your friend at college. Yes. Like like okay. I'm so curious about this. <laughs> so um, I I grew up in I grew up in Asia, and then I moved to Houston, and I went to Rice, which is a very nerdy school in sure. Houston, mostly engineers. All of us were. I'm gonna pair. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make an apocryphal comment. We we're all virgins when we showed up, and we had no skills and no game. <laughs> and nice. we, the, yeah. Oh my god. I um. So many. So so one of my friends, in order to try to impress a girl on a date, I don't even know. I don't even definitely was that popular, but he thought. My I remember my friend is a friend of mine. Kyle was like <clears throat> trying to impress a girl, and he's like. Yeah, my brother uh, gave Jeff Buckley the four track <laughs> to record the demos of My Sweetheart to Drunk. <laughs> and I think he just got, everybody got, like, the, it was, we were in a tiny bar and it was like blank stares all <laughs> around. I don't think he, he did not impress the girl. That's right. He, like, he I don't understand say. any of the things you just said. Yeah. Four track, <laughs> Jeff Buckley. Right. My sweetheart, the drug brother, like since not even you, like (laughs) then he tried to. I think he explained who Jeff Buckley was. It was a whole thing. It did not go well. This this is is funny because one one of the things that I do every once in a while is uh, while I was in college, I got to meet a bunch of famous musicians and do uh, master class with them. And John Schofield did did one, and and I got to hang out with John Schofield, which was amazing. But when he did the uh, master class in front of an audience, like like. 200 people in there he forgot an instrument cable and he's like does anybody have an instrument cable i'm like oh my god i've got an instrument cable yes and i still have that instrument cable and every once in a while like if somebody's like at a show and i'm setting up i'll be like by the way john schofield used this instrument cable his his sounds have been have gone through this cable it's like Julius Caesar's breathing his molecules mm-hmm. of air. Yep. Have you heard this? Yeah, it's yep. like circuit. So, so effectively, you are you are John Schofield. Yeah, effectively, you know, if you guys want to shake my hand, you're basically <laughs> shaking John Schofield's yeah. hand at the exact same this is, time. This is kind of like how you both implied earlier that if you pick up a Telecaster, you'll play like Bill Frizzell or Jeff Buckley. Uh, absolutely, or Jeff Buckley. So you have two options, right? Just um, magically. I I actually do have one other. Oh, Nick's gonna kill me. So I have my one of my best. friends. <laughs> who also went to Rice, um, had a lovely wedding at the chapel at Rice. <clears throat> Very small. Nick is a lovely guy who's in the theater, and he wanted to sing a song during the wedding to his future bride. And he asked me to play guitar on it. And I said, of course. And I was traveling at the time, and he's like, here's you know the song I want you to sing. I didn't look at it until the day of. <laughs> And he wanted to sing Hallelujah to his bride. And I was like, Nick, did you read the lyrics? The lyrics? <laughs> and, and it reminds me of when Sting's like, I can't tell you how often people ask me 
you know, um, every breath you take. And then um, he sings like, it's a stalker song. Yeah. <laughs> Don't play that at your wedding. And I, and I told Nick this and he's like, I only memorized one song. I can't change the song. <laughs> so did he do it? Yeah. Okay. And I was like, oh, so I was like, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm enabling a musical and romantic crime right now. <laughs> They're still married. They have lovely children. So, you know, so far so good. That's amazing. But, oh my God. I mean, I'm yeah. sure that song is still, the song is still played at weddings all the time, but I don't Why? know about sung by the groom. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is like if I ever get married, I'm going to have Stairway to Heaven as my dance song so that everybody has to sit around first for seven and a half minutes, second because it becomes a rock song at the end and we're like still slow dancing to it and everyone's like, God, this is getting really awkward. And I'm like, that's the goal of my wedding. When I was in junior high, so like mid 80s, like at a middle school dance, you had to bring the DJ would have to bring Stairway to Heaven for the last oh, yeah. song at, of the middle Wait. school dance. Yeah. <laughs> to clear the room out is that like no because like, like, oh, everybody no. loved it <laughs> like and you you know and you would like you know sway sway with your dance partner like awkwardly for for seven minutes including during the loud part um where are you where, where did y'all grow up portland oregon portland. Wow, it doesn't define, explain anything. It's like blowing my no, it yeah. doesn't. I would like bikini kills or any anybody right. who said no. anything Nirvana. That would be, wow. Okay, Portland. There, there's one thing that I I want to. We, we've gotten way off topic, which never happens on this <laughs> show. <laughs> um, your other note, which is absolutely amazing, and I didn't even think to look it up, which I'm disappointed in myself because I always look these things up, is that this album is produced by Andy Wallace. Who's yes. most famous mm-hmm. for producing Slayer, Rain and Blood? Well, that, yes. That is wild. <laughs> so I should have fact checked that because that is true. But he also did mix Nirvana's yeah. uh, Nevermind. And he mixed he mixed a few things, but he produced uh Jeff Buckley, which I think is quite unusual because at the time he was mostly known as a mixer for like White Zombie and all kinds of other stuff. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like, so random. Oh, yeah. He he mixed uh, Limp Biscuit. <clears throat> oh, wow. Yep. Starfish so, and, and wait, the so Hot Dog Does that mean we have Andy Wallace two, two episodes in a row? I Well, different album, different album. but, close but enough. pretty close. But I mean, you, you read down his list of credits and it is like, let's rock, let's rock, let's Yep. Let's rock. Uh, let's do Jeff Buckley, and then let's get back to rock. Like I don't know how the hell this happened. I, but, I, don't, uh, I don't think it's that much of a departure, though. Honestly. Oh but, my God! Really? Like, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not Sepultura? alleging that Jeff Buckley sounds like Slayer. I'm saying that if you have the chops to to like mix a Slayer yeah. album well, like you know, you're not gonna like get the Jeff Buckley stems and be like, I don't know what to do here. But <laughs> that's I, true. I'll, I, I tell you, Matthew, if you if you read down this list, like there are it 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 reads as like some of my favorite <laughs> albums of all oh, time. This guy has worked on some absolutely for me classic, for me that's John Lecky. If you ever look if you ever look up John Lecky and everything mm. that John Lecky produced, it is insane. <laughs> yeah, I, I this is mostly mixing. You're right, yeah. John, but like like I wouldn't even know where to start with this list. It it is a a. It is like my entire record collection is up on this list. It's insane. Nice. I have this theory with mixers and and producers that it's like it's like horror movie directors turn out to be really good at like like big blockbuster Marvel yeah. movies because they have they have a sense of like technical. So they they understand psychology and they have the technical chops. With metal people, mixers especially, you have to be so good to separate the different sludge yeah. stuff so that it doesn't turn to mud. And I think 
um, what's interesting about Jeff Buckley is like he he does have a lot of layers in most of his songs, and Andy Wallace manages to make everything really clear and clean. Which I know it sounds crazy because metal is you think of distortion, but to do that well, you have to be really technical, and I think that's what he brought to it. Yeah, no, I think that totally makes sense. I heard the story that for My Sweetheart the Drunk, Jeff Buckley wanted to work with um, either Richard Hell or somebody else from television um, as a producer. And they went down the road quite far with that. And Tom Ver- it was wasn't Tom Verlaine. Ha- Sorry, that's yeah. right. That's right. And he didn't like it. And I think he didn't like the mixing of it or something. So they, I think they were in talks of possibly having Andy Wallace come back and mix it, which again points to, I think you wanted that cleanliness because his voice was so pure. Okay. Nerding out, done. Yeah, no, also, no. Like, also, I, I hear you because, like, my the uh, my EP that's coming out this year is like being mixed right now, and uh, I know, like, as soon as mm-hmm. I get like uh, the the early mixes, I'm gonna like drive everybody crazy, saying like, "Can you like turn that <laughs> down right there?" That like, you know, at that one second, that's how it goes. Also, rest in peace, Tom Verlaine, yeah. who just passed away three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I know. Total oh. shame. Um, All right, this this is a long episode, but we knew we got we got fifty percent more people on the show, so it's going to be fifty percent longer than usual. Uh, Sorry, what are, no, not at all. This is great. What uh, what are you all listening to, uh, John? Let's start with you. You're the guest. What's what's uh, something that's been playing at your place lately? Oh, so I my next album is <clears throat> we're done with like the tracking. It's electronic, so it's mostly electronic. So now wait, last um, time I, I talked to tracking, you. You told me your next album was gonna was gonna be more like grungy. <laughs> Did I? I think so. <laughs> I, I may have been fueled by ramen, no, uh, fueled by ice cream when I was like, high on ice cream. It's when gonna we be on, last out time. on fueled by ramen. <laughs> <laughs> no, is that, are they still around? I don't, I'm um, not sure. They. Uh, <laughs> so it's a it's an album sung in um, China. So so Jake, my my work recently has been. Um, my last album was based on the oral histories of Asian immigrants and, and written in the style of the music I grew up with, like Elvis Costello and like the Pogues and Richard Thompson. It's like, and so Western music with essentially Eastern lyrics in English. And this time I'm flipping it. So it's the, still the same content written, the lyrics are written by Chinese and Japanese um, Asian Americans and immigrant artists. And, but it's the style is the style of the modern music of today. And so it's heavily electronic, hyper pop. Um, it's the other half of me. Excellent. I'm an electronic producer too. And so I've been listening to a lot of music in that genre, which is like 180 degrees far away from Jeff Buckley and the stuff that uh, Matthew, you and I talked about last time. And so I've been listening to a lot of music from overseas and there's three um, artists that are just really interesting and they combine this fascination with the West, things like footwork music or juke music, which is a style of dance music with like a very sort of, you know, filtered through their own lenses. There's one band called Wednesday Campanella. That's a Japanese producer team with a varying group of singers. Um, And y'all should check them out. They're like, they're like collage pop music. And it's just insanely amazing and weird. And they're Japanese. Um, Another one is, I don't know how you're going to find this, but it's a, splinters off of another japanese rap group and in spotify if you type in da 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 like one word like the like the volkswagen commercial music d-a-d-a-d-a exclamation point this group who don't have much followers they write one minute songs that are like a universe and they're the most perfect insane pop hooks in like a minute okay every song i'm looking this up right now so i don't forget and the last thing is an an american i think maybe she's british actually she might be british shy girl the new Shy Girl is okay, yeah. insane. Awesome. That's it. 
That's all okay. I got. I'm gonna check yep. all those out. Jake, I I was I was right. Uh, you're definitely way way more talented than both of us. If if you're like I hate using the word meta, but doing polar opposite albums like that is uh it's meta. That's that's. In in the best way possible. Yeah. Again, that is that is impressive. Yeah, guess guess what my re- next it's also release career suicide. <laughs> guess what my next release is going to be like? It's going to be like guitar driven, kind of like loud college rock. Yeah, yeah. Guess what? That's guess so what the awesome. one after that is going to be like? It's going to be like guitar driven college rock. I mean, I'm I'm a Jewish guy from Portland who plays hip hop in their 40s. I really can't. <laughs> That's true. Speak to anything at all. <laughs> um, so, uh, speaking of hip hop, uh, this. Album by Little Yachty, Let's Start Here, mm. is garnering so much buzz that, I, you know, it was like a requirement for listening this last month because everybody has been talking about it. And, um, yeah, it it's, it's good at certain points. The idea is he took a sharp left turn. He's kind of this southern rapper who was doing very southern style hip hop and rap. And I, I think that he discovered Tame Impala and went, I love this, and created an album with him doing hip-hop lyrics and, and mumble rap auto-tune stuff over Tame Impala's music. Okay. And the music is amazing. Like, he did a great job of that, and there's a lot of producers on it. I just don't love auto-tune mumble rap. It's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's not worth a listen like it is very interesting and it is very very unique uh so check that out and then i am extremely disappointed with myself for not discovering this last year but this artist madison cunningham and the album revealer Mm. it is her voice is absolutely beautiful she she sounds like jeff buckley sometimes sometimes courtney barnett sometimes fiona apple but her songwriting and her guitar playing and the chordal choices that she makes are just like you you hear this natural progression. You're like, OK, I know what chord is coming next. And she'll do something mm. completely off the wall that really works. And I just was transfixed the the entire album and have listened to it like 10 times in the last three weeks. It's phenomenal tell, tell me the name again what's the uh, name the, the um, artist Madi- is madison, madison cunningham and the album cunningham. is called revealer she actually performed at the pre-grammys thing you can find a, a video of her online performing with a, a string section and just so talented highly recommend okay matthew go ahead great pick so far okay i'm gonna i'm gonna save one of mine for next for next month so um uh paranual after the magic um i think i picked paranual's last album or maybe two albums ago also but like this is paranual is kind of we we don't even know much about them they are they are a uh a solo south korean solo musician who collaborates but is really like not interested in personal fame and kind of records like bedroom bedroom indie rock albums with uh lots of the, the production is really cool and really dense, lots of really cool kind of buzzy guitar sounds. And the thing that I like about this this album and and their previous albums is like it is like it is like three albums in one and not in the sense mm-hmm. of genre and not in the sense of length, although it's about an hour long, but there are so many hooks. And like, you know, there's it rewards repeated listening so much like you you will like listen to it and like pick out new things every time. Uh, it's just like, you know, it's a it's a slow burn of an album that can, you know, will keep you happy all year and probably beyond. Yes, John. 
<laughs> I I know we're over time, yeah, yeah. but it, they are amazing. Yeah. And one of my collaborators is, is a Korean musician, and he sent that uh, album to me as well. Um, and my other friend Ray, who's a Lord's music director. But there's like this Asian fascination right now with like Dreamcore and sure. like. It's it's amazing. Like people lo- are falling in love with Lush all over. I again love Lush. So Asia, Lush is one of my and, all-time favorite bands. So great, right? Yes. Um, Shoegazers. So like, there's something happening. It's so there's so much interesting things happening right now in Asia that like, I don't know. We could spend a whole another episode on it, but I won't belabor the point. But a hundred percent paranormal. Uh, And my other pick is not new at all, but I wanted to mention it uh, partly just because, like, I've been obsessed with it recently, even before uh, uh, Trugoy from uh, from De La Soul passed away uh, uh, in February, um, which uh, which is a great loss. One of my favorite bands. Uh, De La's first four albums are coming back in print and on streaming for the first time, uh, I think, this month, March. And so we will definitely be doing doing uh, a De La song coming up. But right now, we will link to this in the show notes. Go to YouTube. It's There is this clip from 2004, I think, mm-hmm. from I don't know what TV show. The video quality is terrible, but the audio quality is good. It is De La Soul performing with MF Doom, the, uh, the song uh, Rock Cocaine Flow. And it's just one of the best musical performances I've ever seen. I've watched it about 50 times. I just love it so much. Like, there are all having so much fun and uh it's it's a terrific song the beat is fantastic uh mf doom was one of the best and uh i think like this this is a thing that will brighten your day i told probably no less than 10 people to watch yeah, this video after too. i watched it and everyone was like that's maybe the most incredible hip-hop performance i've ever seen in my it's life. just wonderful <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, I wanted to mention uh, my, uh, so like, as I mentioned, my band early to the airport, uh, our EP might, it, it, it won't be out by the time you hear this, but it will be out in March and I'll bug you about it again um, uh, on our uh, April 1st episode. Um, uh, the the EP is called Departures. It'll be on all the services and uh, I'm really proud of how it turned out. Oh, and my EP, uh, IO Dot and the Uppercuts 3, just came out February 25th. So awesome. go to Spotify and listen to that. We're, we're still doing things. And, and of course, <laughs> listen to John Sung's uh, Empire Postcards. That's uh, John T-S-U-N-G, also on all the services. It is fantastic. So, I am uh, so excited. You can find us at www.hiddenjukebox.com, facebook.com slash hiddenjukebox, instagram.com slash jukeboxhidden on all of your favorite uh, podcasting platforms. Thank you so much to John for joining John, us today. Is there anything today. else you want to plug while while you're here? I just no. Thank you for having me. This is what I want to listen. I can't wait to listen to both of your oh, albums thank you. I'm, or EPs. I'm so yeah, excited. My, our, my single for our EP is out now. I will I will send you the link when we're done. Until next time, I'm Jake Amster and I'm Matthew Amster Burton.